0: Hands them to stockpile draft picks and really get better. Maybe not next year, maybe not two years, but in three or four years, and those guys all develop. They'll have a really solid core, and Carr and Davis will be heading into their primes. <laughs> So, I, I don't know.
1: That's the Matt Millen thing, right? For three, four years, would be good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, he says I, that I think every we're going to kick into that era soon. No, no right? but, I think but Matt Millen hasn't gone with the you know, draft positions of need. He's drafted best available, hence <laughs> three wide receivers. Gonna make each one slower than the last. <laughs> oh, right.
2: <laughs> and, and, the, and none of them is the best wide receiver on the team that honor would go to Scotty Vines at this point, quite possibly. I think yeah. if I'm the Texans, which I am, what I would do is I, I, st- I still draft Reggie Bush because I think he's the best all around player out there at number one. And you you draft or you you sign some free agents for the offensive line because what offensive lineman wouldn't want to be blocking for, for Reggie Bush and Dominic Davis because offensive linemen love nothing more when the when the running game is when the running backs are gaining lots of yards and that's exactly what Reggie Bush is going to do if if they're decent so I I think that, I would, that's the I best would, strategy for I would Texas. play the
0: local card and draft Vince Young. You no, know, he's gonna sell jerseys. The people, he's a god right now in Texas. Yeah. Well,
2: I think that's what New Orleans should do because he's a he's a Louisiana guy.
0: I think they're gonna draft. They're better. They're they're gonna they're gonna draft Liner. They have to draft Liner.
2: But Liner's gonna hate it there. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> no, no, no way you want to play, play there. It. Vince Young would actually stomach it. Yeah, because he has he has ties there, and he's yeah, kind of like Aaron. Talking Brooks. about class,
1: Matt Leinert saying, uh, "Oh God, we're we're shirt. still the better team, yeah. but they just made a play." I mean, if you right. want to
0: talk about two like stark <laughs> personality differences, when you look at Vince Young and even Reggie Bush, and then you look at Matt Leinert and God, what a you know baby. Reggie Bush seems so gracious, and He went over, and you know. Congratulate the Texas players after their win, and you have Matt Leinert look like a complete jerk on you know li- on national television talking about how much better USC is. And I, I hate Matt Leinert. So.
2: And we'll fi- we'll finish we'll finish off today's sh- uh, show with uh, one final note. Uh, Matt Leinert used to be the uh, the fat kid that was cross-eyed. So on that note, that'll wrap it up for extra points. For See you later,
0: Goots. Have fun in Idaho, man. Good absolutely. luck.
2: Absolutely. So for everyone here in the studio, I'm Steve Lake saying good night. And damn it, Giants.
1: Well, uh, hail to the victors, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and my partner Jim Dwyer, uh, well, let's just uh, update the public here about what's going on. Uh, He's got a a class conflict this uh, semester uh, as he finishes up his uh, master's degree, which uh, at the end of the day will hopefully yield him a little higher pay out there at Huron High School uh, where he teaches English so um, he's going to be away for a good part of the semester what we'll probably do is rotate uh, sort of a live show uh, with me soloing and uh, maybe every other week uh, we'll do a show together that we tape. Uh, One of the big advantages of doing live uh, public affairs is uh, your program is not dated Sometimes even if you do a show uh, two days before uh, it actually is aired, uh, the uh, content of the show can uh, remain uh, obsolete or uh, become an anachronism, as they say in literature. So uh, I've always preferred the live uh, method of doing the show uh, in general. So we'll, uh, pending uh, the new uh, schedule, which is going to be released next week, we'll come up with a uh, suitable plan to keep Gray Matters listeners uh, informed and entertained about the various public affairs and public issues of our day. Having said that, obviously uh, last week was uh, sort of a fascinating uh, confluence of events in terms of the uh, obvious and inevitable demise of both Ariel Sharon and Tom DeLay. Uh, Giving Pat Robertson a brain damage is obviously uh, quite easy uh, in uh, relationship to the Sharon story. Uh, Of course, on his 700 Club last week, he uh, claimed that Ariel Sharon's stroke was, quote, divine punishment for dividing God's land, quote, unquote. God considers this to be his land, Mr. Robertson said on the 700 Club. You read the Bible and he says, This is my land. And for any Prime Minister of Israel, and for any Prime Minister of Israel who decides he's going to carve it up and give it away, God says, No, this is mine. So, uh, this is a uh, very bizarre theory, um, which frankly ignores the fact that Ariel Sharon had been in poor health recently. Uh, I think he's 77 years old, Uh, he's overweight, and uh, he's obviously led a very stressful life. Sharon, of course, has become an interesting political figure in Israel over the last uh, many decades for his role, uh, both as a military leader and political leader, and certainly one of the leaders of the Likud party, though uh, in recent uh, months he's decided to break away from Likud, over uh, the issue of Gaza and the return of that land. Um, the I- notion, by the way, um, that Israel is God's land is uh, a biblical interpretation open to scrutiny. Pat Robertson obviously believes in the literal uh, meaning of the uh, Bible, I guess. And I guess he quotes the prophet Joel, uh, claiming, as he uh and I'm quoting here, makes it very clear that God has enmity against those who divide my land. Well, uh, if that's what Joel, in fact, said, uh, why doesn't he have enmity towards Israel for dividing up the land? Um, Pat Robertson uh, can't have it both ways. So uh, I think he's been exposed for the uh, fraud that he is. And, of course, he uses the 700 Club to uh, fundraise for his various uh, materialistic uh, benefits here on earth. Pat Robertson is one of those interesting Christians who uh, ignores much of the Bible, it seems, in pursuit of uh, wealth here on earth. And uh, who was it? Uh, The good uh, Lord Jesus Christ who said that uh, a rich man has as much chance of getting into uh, heaven as... uh, a man going through the eye of a needle? Something along those lines. I'm not a biblical scholar, but uh, I think a straight jacket is uh, in order, and uh, Pat Robertson uh, needs to be committed to the funny farm. Uh, now, regarding Ariel Sharon, obviously, we've seen in uh, the last week... Uh, You know, obviously, politically, as Prime Minister, I'd say it's uh, probable that he's finished. And certainly, he, at this uh, hour, still clings to life itself. But uh, Bush and Condoleezza Rice also deserve brain damage awards for claiming that Ariel Sharon is a quote, man of peace. Uh, I would dispute that uh, characterization of Sharon I don't think that he is a man of peace I think he's a man of Israel Uh, and indeed he's uh, quite an interesting man Uh, and as we look at his record throughout his years it's it's obviously a mixed uh, record. and I'll just quote, uh, some of the controversial things that he's supposedly been involved with over the years. One of the great omissions, by the way, in the mainstream media over the past, uh, week in talking about Ariel Sharon has been the omission of any, um, remembrance of his involvement in the, uh, second Intifada when he provocatively visited the Alaska Mosque uh, with uh I believe at the time there were a thousand security forces accompanying him, and he made some sort of bald faced political claim that this was part of a uh, effort uh to uh, unify East Jerusalem or some such nonsense. This of course provoked the second Intifada, and uh, that role in his uh rather mixed history has never been. Discussed in recent, uh, over the past week for some strange reason. Uh, Just quoting from an article by Neil McCorfarter in the uh, Friday New York Times about his record. The standard list published in the semi official Egyptian daily Al Aram included, and this is in regard to Sharon as a military leader, an attack on a village called. Uh, Kibya, near Jerusalem, in which 69 Palestinians died in 1953. The accusation that he ordered Egyptian prisoners of war executed near Mutla Ridge in Sinai in 1956. And most notorious, the massacre of hundreds of Palestinians in the uh, Shabra and Shatila camps in Lebanon. should add, by the way, that I don't believe it was hundreds, I believe it was thousands. And uh, an Israeli inquiry into that matter determined that although uh, Lebanese militiamen did the actual killing, Mr. Sharon bore indirect responsibility for permitting these uh, militia to enter the camps. And, of course, uh, many uh, people around the world have uh, held Sharon responsible for this. He was the architect, by the way, of the 1982 Lebanese invasion by Israel. At the time, Menachem Begin was Prime Minister of Israel, and I don't think that the uh, Lebanese invasion was a successful one, um, at least in terms of the long-term record. Uh, Needless to say, it also engaged America into Lebanon in 1983, And if you'll recall your history, Ronald Reagan made a sort of a side deal with Begin, and this followed the outrages uh, regarding the 1982 massacres at uh, Shabra and Shatila, in which the United States would essentially replace Israel as a, quote, security force. This, of course, led to our involvement in Lebanon, uh, which at the time, of course, was ravaged by a very bloody and... A uh, factional civil war uh, that dated back uh, in the immediate uh, years, back to at least 1975. And Lebanon, of course, to this day has remained a very unstable place for a variety of reasons in which there are a uh, good number of uh, factions still there, uh, including Hezbollah, which was eventually implicated in the marine truck bombing, of October of 1983, that led, I would say, to the American invasion of Grenada two days later, so that the media could get off the failed policy of Reagan's uh, foray into Lebanon uh, in the uh, early 80s. Hezbollah, of course, has not uh, gone away, and uh, I've always been of a very inter- I've always had a very interesting political theory about 9/11. There is a well-known terrorist that works for Hezbollah named uh, Imad Mugniyah, uh, who was mentioned on the particular day of 9/11 as possibly being behind 9/11. It's been fascinating to me to speculate. Uh, If, in fact, this were true, Um, Imad Mugniya allegedly met Osama bin Laden in 1998. He currently lives in Tehran uh, by all uh, so-called intelligence accounts, and it would be fascinating if he actually either penetrated the Bin Laden uh, so-called 9-11 plot, or actually may have orchestrated it. It's important to remember that Mohammed Atta, this uh, rather mysterious... Uh, leader of the so-called Hamburg cell, was the lead of the 9-11 plot. And while uh, we've supposedly got in custody a number of so-called masterminds of the 9-11 plot, though we do not have Ayman al-Zawari or uh, Osama bin Laden, these so-called masterminds, including Sheikh Khalid Mohammed, have uh, remained um, invisible. Uh, They are part of this torture gulag archipelago that the United States has, and in making that uh, reference in no way or shape or form do I mean to compare our gulags to the uh, Soviet Union, in which that phrase was memorably um, uh, thought up by uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. But uh, it is to suggest that we have never, the public, uh, seen these uh, so-called masterminds. And we are relying on the Bush administration's word that they are, in fact, the masterminds. But if you contemplate for a moment, th- getting back to the notion that Ahmad uh, Mugniya may have been behind this, he was behind the truck bombing of uh, the Marine barracks in uh, October of 1983. And it's interesting, uh, the CIA um, and intelligence agencies around the world have no idea what this man looks like. He's been behind all sorts of other uh, very spectacular terrorist attacks uh, ever since. And he is an expert in these sorts of operations. But uh, assuming just for the sake of argument that maybe he was behind it, and I'm not uh, asserting that he was, but I'm speculating, it's fascinating to observe that the United States has, uh, by going into both Iraq and Afghanistan, done the dirty work of the Iranian government. Uh, and This is what makes the plot so interesting. We had an economist over the weekend, um, and I don't have his name in front of me, but he uh, has done a new study uh, that I will investigate a little further, in which he claims that the um, Iraq war will ultimately cost the American uh, government, i.e. the taxpayers, i.e. the American people, $2 trillion. I have already claimed that the Iraq War has cost America at least half a trillion dollars, but uh, if his numbers are correct, and indeed uh, maybe he is speculating about how long we'll be there, um, it's a in very interesting theory. Uh, in 1998, the Taliban and Iran almost were involved in a war involving an attack by the Taliban against Iranian diplomats in a city called, um, um, well, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the city, but it's, it's in the northern part of Afghanistan. And as I recall, something like uh, 90 Iranian um, diplomats and sort of State Department people were um, killed. And it's interesting, by the way, over the weekend, there was yet another military crash in Iran of uh, t- top-level Uh, military um, person, Um, and one can only speculate uh, if this plane, because it was an air crash, which had uh, landing gear problems, as I heard on the BBC, may have been sabotaged or uh, maybe America was involved in some way, shape, or form. But getting back to this overall theory, uh, it's interesting that in overthrowing Saddam Hussein and Creating what appears to be some sort of uh, Shiite-dominated government in Iraq. It's quite puzzling uh, that now, almost four weeks after the election, uh, we still don't know the actual results in this so-called election in Iraq. And this is very troubling. Uh, I remember in reading an item in response to the uh, controversy involving the vote recount in Florida of 2000, i.e. the so-called Bush v. Gore uh, case, uh, which we may hear more of in these upcoming Alito hearings, that um, it took Canada all of five hours to hand recount all 13 million votes in one of their uh, Canadian elections. So it's fascinating to me that uh, We still don't have these results. And this is uh, very troubling to me. It strikes me that there are obviously behind-the-scenes negotiations going on to possibly produce results uh, favorable to the American um, desires in the region. But by overthrowing Saddam Hussein, uh, certainly Iran has been strengthened. By overthrowing the Taliban... uh, In Afghanistan, Iran has also been strengthened. It's important to remember that the civil war in Afghanistan during the 1980s and 90s created uh, anywhere between a million and three million refugees that fled into uh, Iran. So Iran was uh, not interested in a continuing uh, destabilization, so to speak. And they certainly, in terms of religious rivalry, uh, had no alliance whatsoever with the Taliban. So, uh, Ahmad Mugniya, maybe he did penetrate the bin Laden plot, uh, but inquiring minds need to know more. And certainly it would be interesting if the Bush administration ever produced these so-called masterminds. One other uh, point that I would like to make on the matter of whether or not uh... this is the case it's interesting that in germany one of uh... uh... mohammed atta's basically one of his roommates was put on trial uh... by the german government and the defense lawyers for this suspect and his name escapes me wanted to interview one of these so-called masterminds uh... his name was bin al-ashib And the U.S. government refused to permit his presence in court. Fascinating. Uh, What did he know of Mohammed Atta? Anyway, this uh, man was eventually acquitted and uh, released from prison, even though he was kept in custody for quite some time. His basic claim was, Yes, I knew Mohammed Atta, I was friends with him, I agreed with him on politics, etc., but I had no knowledge of 9-11, the 9-11 plot, and didn't assist him in any material way. That was his defense in court. Uh, The Bush administration, who wants to get those terrorists, saw fit to refuse to cooperate with German prosecutors on this particular case. Yet another example of, uh, shall we say, habeas corpus, uh, being suspended for the purposes of expediency, and meanwhile, the propaganda war on the war on terror-ism continues. Well, mere speculation. A couple of other quick uh, items that uh, sort of entertained me from last week. Um, I noticed that Lawrence e- Eagleburger, known as Larry Eagleburger, showed up at a... Uh, little meeting uh, in which a family photo was taken of uh, various uh, former secretaries of state and defenses that uh, were so-called giving the president their update. Three of these, by the way, including Robert McNamara, were implicated in the Vietnam fiasco. And Lawrence Eagleburger, of course, uh, worked uh, for the Bush 41 administration, and he had a press conference uh, after the meeting which on its face, by the way, was obviously a PR stunt by the White House. Um, Keith Oberman made the observation that given the amount of time they were allowed to ask questions and make statements, this so-called briefing gave each minister, former uh, official, uh, anywhere between 23 and 46 seconds to speak. And apparently uh, President Bush interrupted uh, Madeleine Albright, one of our least favorite people down here on Gray Matters, uh, some of her questions uh, demonstrating that this was obviously a PR stunt. But Lawrence Eagleberger's press conference that I saw a little clip of on television was classic. Uh, he is uh, a rather short man and is, needs the assistance of a cane at this point. And during the press conference, uh, he was outside and his sunglasses or his glasses, I think, are those types of glasses. am not a, too much of an expert on this because I don't wear glasses, but the kind of glasses that become dark uh, outside because of sunlight. And while he was smoking a cigarette, uh, sort of um, s- staggering around on his cane, uh, the image of Dr. Strangelove uh, talking in uh, at the end of the movie Uh, in which he briefs the president about the strategies in which uh, we survive a nuclear war was just so mind-bogglingly resemblant of Dr. Strangelove that uh, I think it's one of those video clips that needs to be saved for posterity's purpose. Uh, I won't give him a brain damage award because he made some rather sarcastic comments about uh, why President Bush was so reluctant to hear more from these former secretaries, Uh, but he said something to the effect of, well, we're all has-beens anyway and i couldn't have agreed more uh, i thought that the photograph the family portrait as bush called it of the uh various uh people um and eagleberger by the way is uh, way over on the left with his uh two uh canes there um is an example of how absolutely how foreign policy over the past uh, forty years has been such a failure in the United States, uh because we have people like Carlucci, Al Haig, uh McNamara, Mel Laird, George Bush, uh I mean excuse me, George Schultz, um, Dick Cheney, Rumsfeld, Schlesinger, Powell, uh, and Eagleburger himself, and I've spared a few people uh embarrassment here. It just strikes me that this this is one of those family portraits that embodies the total failure of American foreign policy over the past 40 years. They're the people that have been largely responsible for the failures uh, and uh, have very few successes uh, in their uh, Christmas stocking, shall we say. Uh, so we'll leave it at that. Now, Tom DeLay also <coughs> has now uh, bit the dust. Um, I suspect that not only will he not, uh, well, he's obviously withdrawn his uh, attempt to return as Speaker of the House, but I uh, think that he's even going to have trouble getting reelected uh, due to the Abramoff, Jack Abramoff uh, scandal, which. Uh, To put this in sort of political terms is one of those scandals, as Russell Baker once noted, about Whitewater. It's very difficult to follow, as he put it, uh, because you can't sum the scandal up in ten words or less. Uh, It it doesn't work on TV. It's very complicated, very in uh, arcane... You know, it's, it's just complicated in a lot of ins and outs of the plot. But at the same time, there's something in which I would uh, compare this to the Asian tsunami. Uh, the Abramoff uh, plea is essentially the earthquake, and the tidal waves will follow. Um, the Justice Department has promised to follow up <laughs> all of these investigations into corruption. We may actually get some reform out of this uh, crook, and uh, his uh, strange um, clothing, uh, the fedora hat and the gangster look that he sported one day, and the baseball cap that he sported the next, Uh, very interesting stuff. But as I say, it's a sort of a hard scandal to follow, but the bottom line is, uh, I think we're going to see some reforms in uh, Congress, and we're probably going to see a good number of Republicans bite the dust. It's fascinating, by the way, that Jack Abramoff was a pioneer for President Bush, in which he raised over $100,000 to attain this uh, alluring status, um, but... Uh, George Bush has seen fit to return six thousand dollars of the money and has donated it to charity and meanwhile the various congressmen of both parties are scrambling Um, to return the money in most cases, and in other cases, many of them are keeping the money. Uh, How this plays out politically will be interesting, but do not be fooled. This is not a bipartisan scandal. Uh, It's indeed a fact that some of the Indian tribes, as they're being called, uh, have given money to both parties for various reasons. But if you look at the sums involved, who's involved, And because, obviously, the Republicans control uh, all three branches of government, but Congress uh, specifically regarding this scandal, uh, you can see that the monies and the people, the personalities involved, are um, far-reaching and almost mind-boggling. It will be interesting to see how Grover Norquist fares. It will be interesting to see how Ralph Reed fares. Uh, And the list can go on and on. It goes beyond delay, Uh, DeLay and Abramoff are just symptomatic of this um, pay-to-play game that Tom DeLay instituted as the so-called Hammer, uh, an appropriate nickname for the man, Uh, but I would only add that uh, Hammerhead may be his actual nickname, or should have been his nickname, because obviously he's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar he has jam all over his face and he denies eating the bread with the jam on it Uh, well time will tell but uh, I think that uh, Tom DeLay has spit the dust and as for him he's yet another example of a reformed alcoholic uh, attaining power because of this magical evangelical conversion uh, that made him see the light. Uh, these are some of the scariest people in politics. George Bush is another. And it's interesting to see, of course, that a leader, uh, a top leader in the British Parliament, the Liberal Democrat, uh, had to resign uh, this past week over allegations that he uh, missed many of his roll call votes.